This is episode 251. Why do healthy people get cancer? Why does obesity seem to run in your family? Or every time you seem to lose a bit of weight or get somewhere with your gut health, you end up right back where you started. What if I told you that your physical illness and health problems are not because of your genetics? That the genetics you were given by your parents are not faulty and are not damaged goods? Hopefully, that sparks curiosity because this conversation is all about how you can change the fate of your health, your relationships, and the quality of life that you experience through reprogramming your thoughts. And you might be thinking, yeah, right, Maddie, more of your woo-woo, but this conversation is with a world-famous scientist and molecular biologist about how mind-body medicine is accessible to everyone and explains exactly how it works using the power of your own brain. This episode could completely change your outlook on yourself and your life, if you let it be so. <laughs> so let's dive in. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? I actually cannot believe that you are here to witness this episode go down today because I'm pretty mind blown about this conversation taking place. This fantastic man here is quite genuinely a personal idol and unbeknownst to him has been a mentor for me for a very long time, particularly going through my own journey as a young scientist, working in a cancer hospital and trying to figure things out in a way that made sense to the laws of biology and nature as I understood them, but kind of conflicted with what we were doing in the laboratory. First, though, before I get any deeper, in 2023, it's my mission to coach 500 people to stop the binge eating and savage self-talk cycle so they can lose weight whilst feeling in control and without restriction along the way. And it's funny that my own path and mission have evolved to the point of working with beliefs and the relationship that people have with food because I can actually attribute the pivot in my own direction and fundamental understanding of health and healing to this man right here. So I want you to meet the incredibly famous and successful formerly <laughs> professor of molecular biology, cell biologist, and author of the groundbreaking book, which changed my life, The Biology of Belief. Here with me is Dr. Bruce Lipton, who is the actual person that coined the term epigenetics. He is a former <laughs> research scientist at Stanford University of Medicine, has taught at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and National Institutes of Health. He's one of the original thought leaders in the space of mind-body medicine, and anyone you might follow in this field is likely influenced by Bruce's work. He shares knowledge and insights on the power of consciousness and how our thoughts and beliefs can profoundly impact our health and well-being, and the idea that the body creates disease and cures it based on your own thoughts. Bruce has been at this work for a very long time and has received World Peace Awards in honor of his scientific contribution to World Harmony. So join me with a sense of strange space between science and woo-woo with Dr. Bruce Lipton. Welcome to the show. I am so happy to be here with you, Maddie. And I've, you know, looked over all your work uh, over the last number of years. And it's so wonderful because your work is really hitting on the whole scientific line of exactly what's going on in our consciousness and how it affects our health and our biology. Uh, and it's not the conventional story that almost everyone out there has learned about how genes control life because that's not true. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's one of the interesting things. When, when I first um, became a part of the cancer hospital and I decided I, I should probably learn about this cancer thing, um, I literally went to the World Health Organization website, and many of my listeners will have heard this story before, um, in, and I went to the cancer page. And even on the World Health Organization website, it said 90 to 95% of cancers are caused by diet, lifestyle, and tobacco, and only 5 to 7% were unlucky. And so I was like, how come everybody that gets diagnosed with cancer feels like they're genet they've got genetic bad luck? <laughs> well, of course, that was the education we provided uh, and, and, and the significance is uh, there was a revision, and you mentioned the concept of the new science called epigenetics, which was, uh, uh, you know, found, uh, established as a reality in 1990. But the public hasn't really gotten the information. And one of the main reasons is this, is that the original story that most people have been programmed with is that uh, genes uh, uh, control the character of their lives, that they didn't pick them as far as they know. They can't change the genes if they don't like the character. And more importantly, uh, they were told that genes turn on and off by themselves. I say you put all those facts together and I say, what do you end up with? And it's called the science of genetic determinism, that genes determine 
the character of your life. And that's why everything was so focused on the genes and what's going on in the world. <clears throat> Little fact on the inside, less than 1%, less than 1% of disease is even connected to genes. 90 plus percent of our health issues are actually, as you mentioned before, and, and the thing that you bring out the most is based on lifestyle and nutrition and our emotional activity. And so the belief that most people downloaded, oh, I'm a victim of my heredity. And I go, in 1990, the new science epigenetics was established and epi means above. So let's look at the old story. Uh, this character is under genetic control, meaning genes control the character. Mm-hmm. But today we say this character is under epigenetic control. I said, well, it sounds the same except for the epi. And I go, epi means above. So I say this character is under epigenetic control or this character is under control epi above the genes, epi. And I say the significance is what's above the genes. I go, consciousness is above the genes. And I go, significance is also the environment is controlling the genes. I go, so why is this relevant? I say, the original story, I'm a victim. Genes are turning on and off doing their own thing. The new story is it's the environment and my perception that is adjusting the genes. I go, well, that's a different game because you can change your environment. You can change your perception. And basically what it comes down to is a simple fact. Oh, I'm not a a victim of my heredity. I am the master of my genetic control. And the problem is that is it's based on the consciousness, which is based on your belief. And I go, yeah, but if you believe genes control your life, then all of a sudden you have established that I'm a victim because you believe it and you become a victim because you believe it and you have to change your belief. And this is why your work is so important, Maddie, is to give people the chance to say, what are you thinking? (laughs) Because that's where it comes down to. Yeah, well, I mean, thank you. I appreciate you saying that because, you know, your work has been so globally impactful in this space. I'm really curious, though, because a lot of the time I talk on a similar level in regards to the idea of um, genes, because many people say things like cancer's in my family, diabetes is in my family. (laughs) And what are they saying when they say that? Well, what they're saying is the old story is that, oh, if there's cancer in the family, it must be genetic and I'm part of the family. And therefore, if I receive that gene, then I'm going to get the cancer. You you know, you get someone like um, Angelina Jolie, whose mother died of breast cancer. Her grandmother died of breast cancer. She ends up finding out she has a so-called breast cancer gene. uh, And in the fear of that gene causing cancer, she undergoes a double mastectomy. Uh, and, and then the issue is that nobody said something to her like, do you know that only f- about 50% of the women that have the gene get cancer? And I say, what you're not paying attention to is how come 50% of the women that have the gene don't get the cancer? Yeah. And nobody wants to talk about that. And the fact is, ah, it's not the gene that causes cancer. Here's a fact for audience out there. You ready? There's not one gene that causes cancer. There's no gene. You have this gene. You automatically are going to get cancer. I say, no, cancer takes more than one gene to get off the ground. Matter of fact, it takes usually anywhere from six to 12 different gene changes that are coordinated, not by accident, to manifest a cancer. Uh, and then the point about it is this. Genes may be correlated with cancer, but they don't cause cancer. And then I say, well, where's the cause coming from? And the basic understanding is this living in disharmony with yourself and with the environment and that disharmony manifested. Let me, let me just give this simple fact. And then the answer is like, boom. Um, they looked at the fate of what happened to children that are adopted into families where there's cancer running in the family. And they found that the adopted child will get the same family cancer, except the adopted child came from totally different genetics. And I go, well, then what was the point? It was the developmental programming of the child. It didn't make a difference about the genes. It's the developmental programming. As you mentioned, Maddie, over 90% of cancer has no genetic linkage. It just shows Mm -hmm. up. So basically it says, where the hell is the cancer coming from? And this is why I really, you know, want to acknowledge your work because you've found there are two primary contributing factors to that cancer. One is the emotional component and the other is the nutritional component. 
and as your work has demonstrated that if we understand this, then we can, you know, actually uh, prevent the nature of the cancer by creating blood that contains great nutrition and great information from the nervous system. Uh, and, and this is a very powerful source. A very important point also has to come up here because I know that our audience is uh, largely women and it has a lot to do with weight. And I want to bring up a fact that science has recognized, and that is that look at weight as this, uh, especially in the nature of a woman, that uh, when a woman becomes extra heavy, she becomes less um, uh, attractive, so to speak, to to uh, a mate. And also extra heavy means thicker wall. I'm, you know, putting a wall between me and the outside world. And it turns out the large, vast n- number of obese issues or heavyweight women issues is that they've been abused as children. Yeah. They were abused somewhere uh, after birth and in the first seven years. And most of them have no conscious memory of it because basically the conscious mind wasn't really working that much during that time period. So they, their subconscious mind is the one that has the memory of all this stuff. The conscious mind says, I don't, I don't have any experience. I don't remember. I go, yeah, but the subconscious mind was what was operating during those seven years and downloading the experiences. Uh, and when the word sub is uh, added to consciousness, it means below consciousness. So you say to somebody, well, you were abused as a child. And they go, no, 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 I don't remember. I go, that's the conscious mind that is trying to say, do I have a visual of it? And I go, no, but the subconscious mind the one that is underneath consciousness has the memory of it. So a very important fact is science uh, has recognized that the psychological aspect of this is uh, the nature of being abused and that if you put on extra weight, it makes you less attractive, less attention gathering, more protection from from the outside. And that's really a critical part. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that. I had the same, a very similar conversation with Dr. John Martini on the podcast yes. as well uh, surrounding that topic too because, yeah, a, a lot of people are in this constant battle with their weight of fluctuating where they lose a bit, gain a bit, lose a bit, and, and that loss leads to that feeling coming up that they're becoming more available and attention-gathering to the people around them, but actually the body fat that they put on was to protect them so they go Absolutely. back to where they were before. That's exactly what it's all about. And then again, it, it, the issue is this. Let's let's get back to epigenetics. Uh, epigenetics means the environment, and, and here's part two. The environment or our perception of the environment is what controls our genetics, okay? And then I say, oh, so the mind is involved with this. I go, 100%, the mind is the ultimate source of all of this. And, uh, you know, we could just take one step further away for a second, and I can talk about the fact that the most valid science on this planet is called quantum physics. I go, so what's relevant? And I go, principle number one from 1927, from the day that it was theoretically conceived, it was recognized that consciousness is creating our life experiences. So all of a sudden it says, oh my goodness, and our consciousness uh, and our vision is from the mind is shaping us. And I go, yes, that's true. And then all of a sudden I say, but now here comes the problem. There are two minds that are interdependent. You have the conscious mind, which is connected to your personal identity, your spirituality. That's the latest evolution of the brain, right behind your forehead. And I go, but before that, we have the subconscious mind only, and sub means below consciousness. It controls our behavior without you thinking about it. So, for example, you don't worry about your heartbeat, your body temperature, your metabolism. Why? Well, oh, that's operating underneath from subconscious control. But subconscious controls habits, too. So, for example, uh, if you want to walk across the room, you don't have to say, okay, left foot, right foot, left foot. You don't even have to say feet. You don't even have to think about it. All you have to do is have an intention to walk across the room, and the subconscious mind will control the walking. Well, that's a very positive program in the subconscious mind. But what if you get a negative program in the subconscious mind? I said, eh, it works exactly the same. It works without you even thinking about it. And yet it's underneath it and it's controlling everything. So <clears throat> when we come back to that issue of abuse, it's not that a woman walks out and say, I've been abused and, and I'm going to put this weight on. I mean, that has nothing to do with the conscious mind. This is mm-hmm. below consciousness. So like a thermostat, there's a weight setting. 
I said, where's this weight setting? I said, it's not in the conscious mind. It's in the subconscious mind. The subconscious mind determines, uh, maybe I need more weight because I need more protection. And I go, great. And I said, is the conscious mind aware of this? I said, nope, has nothing to do with it. Just as much as you don't know the walking aspect of all the nerves and muscles, thousands of actions going on, you're not there. And I go, so what's the point? I say, well, if you've been abused, let's say, then the subconscious mind is involved with your protection. And the belief system is that if I get overly, you know, overweight, I will attract less attention and I will be safer. I'm saying this is not conscious mind. This is so far below conscious mind. You had nothing to do with it. And I said, but here comes the problem. But it's the conscious mind that says, I want to lose weight. And I go, that's great. And the subconscious mind is saying, no, you need this weight. And I say, now you have a conflict. And now here comes the big issue. This is the whole thing comes right down to this, Maddie. And that is simply this. How much is the conscious mind in control? And how much is the subconscious mind in control? The numbers are <laughs> not helpful in this regard, that the conscious mind controls your behavior, your biology, everything, only about 5% of the day. I go, well, what does that mean? I say, well, the rest of your behavior is controlled by the programs in the subconscious mind that you're not even aware of, subconscious, 95% of the day. So if the program in the subconscious mind is, I need elevated weight, for protection. And that's working 95% of the day. And I say, then how effective is the conscious mind 5% of the day saying, I don't want it. I go, it's a no brainer. It's going to be difficult. You can, as you mentioned, you can work real hard, keep that conscious mind up in the front real hard. I'm going to lose this weight. I'm going to lose this weight. You lose the weight. And guess what? The moment your conscious mind says, okay, I'm okay. The subconscious mind kicks back in and the weight will come right back up again. Yeah, willpower is hard to maintain. Yeah, if you want to change the weight, it's not changing the conscious mind. It's really first changing the subconscious mind. Uh, but this is where your work comes in. And you talk about the fact that the emotional component, subconscious mind, is where we really need to start and then follow it up with the nutrition because the mind will determine which nutrient. You could eat all the healthiest food in the world, but if the mind is not prepared to make a healthy body, it won't absorb those nutrients. Uh, let's, let's correct a simple fact that people need to really get. When you eat something, it's not in your body. It's going through your body, but it's not in your body. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, if you cut out the digestive tract and you stretch it out, intestine, esophagus, the whole thing, it's a pipe. You put the food in the mouth side, it goes down the digestive tract. It's inside a pipe. And it comes out the anus at the other end. I go, so what? And I say, well, if anything's in the pipe, it's not in the body. Mm. It's going through the body. I say, but the point is in the small intestine is where the uh, consciousness or subconsciousness at this point is going to decide what in that digestive tract do we need? And if you eat all the healthiest food, but you got a picture of not being healthy, then the, that healthy food just go from one end one out the other end. I go, why? Because the healthy food wasn't needed by the consciousness to create an unhealthy body. And you will pull out, out of that intestine, the stuff you need to make the picture of yourself. If you find yourself, you know, if you have a picture of I'm a healthy and I am a strong and vibrant person, you're not going to pull out toxic material from the food. Uh, and I say, but if I have a picture of, oh man, I, you know, it's like, uh, I need protection. I'm, I feel very unsafe and I could get protection by, you know, building up some, uh, you know, extra weight. Then the body says, oh, here, this stuff, pull it out of the intestine. This will give you extra weight. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you're trying to lose weight. And guess what? You do all the right food goes from one end through the other end, but anything else that's coming in there that will add to the weight, the body will go, yeah, let's take that. And, and, and all of a sudden now you've selected from your nutrition, the elements to create the body image that the subconscious holds, not the conscious mind. So to me, this is why I want to emphasize to your audience right now that your insights on the nature first, let's deal with the emotional component, because I don't care if you eat the healthiest food in the world, if the emotional component's off, you're not going to get any of that elements of the good stuff coming through that intestine. So yeah, I'm I'm 100% behind you on this, Maddie. 
Yeah, well, that's when I, when you say that, that makes me think of um, when you get, you know, you get you get marathon runners that are um, in a situation where they get, you know, a disease or you hear somebody say, oh, even this person got cancer or this person got diabetes and they're really, really healthy. And that's, I think that's solid evidence for the fact that there's, yeah, those subconscious programs are playing underneath the nutrition. Right. And it's not in the consciousness of the athlete or anything in their conscious mind. I, I'm doing the healthy. I'm the guy that's, you know, I have muscles, I'm great and all that. And I go, yeah, but Underneath that consciousness is the more powerful program that whatever happened in especially the first seven years of life, whatever happened during that time period is shaping the character of the rest of your life. You know, the idea that your first seven years are programming the rest of your life, this is not new. (laughs) I mean, new scientifically. Scientifically, I can tell you it's new because we understand the mechanism. But for 400 years, the Jesuits, the Catholic group, uh, have told their followers, give me a child till age seven and I will show you the man. And people, you know, they go, oh, that's nice, that's nice. I said, you didn't understand what the hell they were saying. I said, what were they saying? They were saying, give me the child till age seven means give me the chance to program that first seven years and I will tell you the fate of the rest of the life of that person. First, give me the first seven years, I'll, I'll show you the fate of the man. And I go, they've been telling people 400 years. They knew what science now knows that that first seven years is programming Mm. and those programs manifest 95% of the rest of your life. Uh, And so whatever happened that first seven years uh, is so profoundly important in shaping your life. And I go, yeah, but uh, this programming started actually before you were born in the last trimester of pregnancy. That's why uh, a, a pregnant woman's diet, for example, because as she's putting nutrition into the blood and the blood is going to the fetus, uh, uh, the fetus gets a, a taste for that diet even before it's born. So, uh, you know, that it's learning. Oh, this is a diet. This is what we do, okay? Uh, so the, the issue about it is it started before, the programming started before we were born. But then it goes big time the, from the moment we're born. And I say... Uh, that a brain of a child is in a state of, of vibration. Uh, vibration, when I talk about, and you put wires on a person's head. It's called electroencephalograph, and we read brain function. There are different vibration levels. Uh, that the vibration level of a child under seven is predominantly in a vibration zone called theta. And theta is imagination. So children under seven mix the real world and the imaginary world, their playtime. The poor, you know, I always talk about the the great tea party where they pour nothing into the cup, they drink nothing, and then say that was the best tea I ever had in my life. Or the <laughs> child on a broom who is saying, "No, this is not a broom; it's a horse," because in their mind, it's not a broom. They're mixing imagination and reality. It's a horse. So the mother says, "Give me the broom," and the child's like looking at her, like, "What are you talking about? It's not a broom to that child." That's called theta. Okay. But theta is hypnosis. And I go, why is that relevant? And I say, for the first seven years, a child's brain is observing the parents, the siblings, and the community and downloading other people's behaviors. Why? Well, uh, a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, the brain is a computer. I go, yeah, it is. And I say, well, you know, in the old days, you get a computer and you buy it and you bring it home and you push start and it boot up, the screen lights up. And I say, do something. And then you go, I can't. I say, you got a brand new computer. What do you mean you can't do something? You say, oh, first, I have to put program. And then once I have the programs in, whether it's a web search or word or drawing or whatever it is, once the programs are in, then you can use this. I'm going, it's exactly the same for a child's brain that it boots up in the last trimester of pregnancy, but it still needs the programs to operate. And it gets programs for seven years by nothing more than observing the world and downloading. And the point is very simple. How many rules do you have to know to be a functional member of a family and a functional member of a community? There's thousands of rules. Yeah. So how's an infant going to learn thousands of rules? They, they can't read a book. They can't go to school. I go, no, nature took care of it. It said, you'll download the rules by observing others. And I go, so then the programs, and this comes, this is the critical part. Then the programs in your subconscious mind that you downloaded didn't come from you. They came from observing other people. And so most of your behavior is not coming from your wishes and desires. That's conscious mind. 
It's coming from the programs that were downloaded in the subconscious. And that's operating 95% of the day. So the significance is, well, then the shape of our life was determined by those experiences. And, and then now comes the problem with the people that we're going to deal with. And I say, what is that? I say, they cannot tell you the experiences they got for a whole year from zero to one. Okay, tell me what you learned. I say, you were downloading every day for a whole year. What did you learn? And the idea is, I don't know. My conscious mind wasn't there. So I say, oh, you got a whole year of download. You didn't see it. I go, yeah. And then uh, a whole, another whole year from one to two, you were downloading every day. Tell me the programs you got. You go, I don't know the programs. Why? You weren't conscious. And pretty much the same for two to three. So all of a sudden I say, the fundamental behaviors that are operating in your subconscious, and they're operating 95% of the day, you have no conscious awareness of them. You have no idea what the hell those programs are. Why? Because why should, let's, let's get to this point, and then I'll, I'll get quiet so we can get to a serious issue. <laughs> the point is this, why is the uh, subconscious controlling us 95% of the day? I go, well, the conscious mind, which is the creative mind and can control you, when it thinks, it's not looking out. The conscious mind's attention is looking in. <clears throat> so if you're driving down the road and you're paying attention to conscious mind, you say, oh, yeah, we're going down to the store and I'm going to turn right and blah, blah, blah. And I got the plan and this is what we're going to do. And I go, and all of a sudden you start thinking, you say, well, at the store, I'm going to get blah, blah, blah. And I say, the moment you started thinking, the conscious mind was not looking out the window because the thought is on the inside. So the conscious mind flips around, <laughs> is now looking inside for what I'm going to do at the store. And I go, well, then who the hell's driving the car? <laughs> and I go, the subconscious mind can drive better than you. It's a million times more powerful than your conscious mind, and it knows how to drive. So when you are thinking, the subconscious mind is autopilot. And I go, and that's why the number is 595, because 95% of the day is the amount of conventional thinking time that a person is using, thinking about the past, the future, the present, what I'm going to do, all that, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, but when you're thinking, then the subconscious mind has taken over the program. It knows how to walk. It knows how to talk. It knows how to drive the car. It knows your job because those are habits. That's what the subconscious mind is. So I'm going, oh, wait a minute then. Then the idea is I'm only controlling my life with my wishes and desires, conscious mind, 5% of the day. And I have a weight issue. And I'm going to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose weight. And I go, and how much of the day? Is your body being controlled by that wish? And I go, about 5%. I go, that's why this hardship of saying, I'm going to go on a diet and I'm going to lose weight. And I go, the moment your mind starts thinking, the subconscious will kick back in and it's, its program's got the weight set. So as you've talked about, Maddie, you want to change the weight, you better start looking first at the setting mm. of that weight, which is not in the conscious mind. Conscious mind has no memory of any kind of abuse that could have happened in the first few years of your life because there was no conscious recognition. And so uh, you said, well, no, I wasn't abused. No, not in your conscious mind. You have no story of it. The subconscious mind has an exact memory of everything from before you were born onwards at that point. And that's why you, you got to deal with it. And I think this is this is why in therapy we hear people that, you know, when they're, they're directed into that subconscious mind, they have these recollection events where they like, whoa, I have these flashbacks to this trauma happening when I was much younger. But it takes a, usually it takes a guided exper like experiential journey into your own subconscious mind to, to tap into that memory. Well, that's, that's the big issue is because it's not available to the conscious mind mm -hmm. until you actually have to let go of the conscious mind, let the program bring it up for you. That's the effort you have to do is say, okay, I'm going to let go. Give me the program. <laughs> uh, but if you're going to try to say, okay, I'm going to look in there and look for the program. I'm going to say, well, you're not going to see anything because there was no conscious recognition of those events. And so the, the conscious mind cannot connect to any experience because it wasn't there yeah. working when the experience was manifest. 
So, and so we spend the first seven years being programmed and then arguably the next 80 trying to deprogram. <laughs> it's like we're in this sort of conundrum. But many people stay just stuck as who they are. And I remember myself as a younger man just sort of being like, this is who I am. This is, I'm just, you know, I'm just this person and everybody's got to deal with it. Where, at what point does the, the beliefs, the ideas, like how does that translate into being actually affecting the brain and the blood on a tangible, measurable level? Well, there are two ways to do it. Uh, and I say, why is it playing? The first question is, why is it playing 95% of the day? And the answer is because I'm thinking 95% of the day. So I say, you know, the movie, The Matrix, uh, it's interesting because uh, it, people say, oh, it's in science fiction. I go, no, you know what? The Matrix is a documentary. And I said, what do you mean? I said, well, what's the premise? The premise is we've been programmed. I go, well, that's not a, that's not a fiction. That's a reality. Yeah. Uh, and then in, in the movie, the, there's this option where you can take a blue pill or a red pill. And the blue pill says you take it, you wake up, and you play the program just as you've always done. But they say if you take the red pill, you get out of the program. I said, wow, that would be great. What would happen? And now all of a sudden, guess what? Science has recognized the most important fact. When we fall in love, when we first fall in love, we got hit like, boom, the thunderbolt. I'm in love. The mind stops thinking and the mind stays in the present moment. I mean, there's a logical reason is you've been looking for this person your whole life. They're in front of you. This is not time to think and go somewhere else. It's time to stay in the moment. So it turns out science is recognized when people fall in love like that. They stop thinking and they stay present. I go, so what does that mean? I say, oh. They're not defaulting to the subconscious mind. I say, so what does that mean? I say, well, then they're not playing the program. I say, then what's the consequence of not playing the program? I say, a blah, 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 blah life in 24 hours can become heaven on earth. As soon as they stop playing the program, they now have what we call the honeymoon. And everything was so beautiful. It's so lovely. And I go, why? Because two people, both are not playing programs, but they're both playing wishes and desires. And that's manifest. But then comes a problem. I say, then what's that? And I say, well, the honeymoon ceased to disappear. And I go, why? And I go, because sooner or later, you know, you, you weren't thinking, you were staying mindful, living in the moment, okay? But you have jobs, you have responsibilities, you have things you have to do, you start thinking. And I say, well, so what happens? You start thinking. I say, oh, then you automatically switch to the program. I go, and what's the issue with that? And I say, most of those programs are negative. <laughs> and I go, so why is this relevant? When two people come together and they have the honeymoon, neither of them are playing the programs anymore. They're playing who they want to be. They're playing their wishes. They're playing their desires. But as the thinking starts to come back in, those negative programs start to come up from the bottom and start manifesting. And, and, and then two people who never experienced those programs before start to realize, well, what kind of behavior is that? Who are you? Where did that come from? Uh, not recognizing the, the one that is is now thinking, doesn't even know they're playing the program because if they're thinking, the program is automatic and they don't see it, and, yeah. but their partner sees it. And that's when all of a sudden arguments start in a relationship. Like, what kind of behavior is that? And the person who just said something goes, what are you talking about? Why? Because they didn't even see it. <laughs> so uh, the, 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 the story of the red pill is a very important story because what you're trying to do, Maddie, is get people onto that red pill long enough to say, look, while I'm not in this program right now, I have options. I'm working, I'm 100% of the time coming from my conscious creative mind. Now, if I stay at that high level for a while, I have an opportunity to say, wait, I want to change behavior. Ah, now the conscious mind is not thinking and going back and hiding. It's up front and it says, Let, what do I do? And that's where uh, your work starts to jump into that part, Maddie, where you start to say, okay, let's, let's get into the story of the, the emotions behind this issue. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. 
Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Yeah, and it's interesting too because I guess going to the love example, it's like you fall into this space where you're not defaulting to the subconscious mind. What falls away? Like because obviously people, you know, that it becomes either the, either the love becomes normal or the relationship becomes normal or they become scared because they are so unfamiliar with who they are in this space that they're like, I'm so uncertain who I am with these belief systems and these behaviors. I need to go back to who I was before. Well, unfortunately, that that's a true part because, again, the 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 amount of time and and the look the the subconscious part versus the conscious part. If I'm talking computer story, the processing power of the subconscious is a million times more powerful than the processing of the small part in the front called the conscious mind. So right away, mathematically, you got an issue. You got the wishes and desires uh, with a small little processor and the programs with a million times more powerful and then add the time element. Yeah, I'm only using the small little processor 5% of the time and 95% of the time I'm using the million times more powerful processor. I say mathematically, this is is mind boggling. Because the mind is like, well, I'm trying to control this. And, and while you're thinking of controlling it, the control is now turned over to the subconscious. So while you, you're even thinking, I'm going to control this, I go, that's a thought. Okay, that's inside. But the moment that thought is on the inside, whatever behavior is going to be expressed is coming from the subconscious. So you're thinking good thoughts of how I'm going to take care of myself. And in the meantime, while you're having those thoughts, you're terrorizing yourself with the subconscious program. At about a ratio of a million to one. (laughs) Yes, yes. That's why mathematically it's a difficult thing to do. But if you understand it, then you have an opportunity. You know, knowledge is power. Knowledge of self is self-empowerment. And this is what, uh, you know, together you and I are trying to do. I do it at one level. You do it at another on a more personal level, which is you put your hands on the problem. I'm distant from the problem. I'm talking about the problem and you got your hands on the problem. So we have a little different, but we're both working with the same issue. Uh, And the point about it is this. You want to lose weight? It's not a setting in your conscious creative mind that has that. It's in the subconscious. And all of a sudden, I say, then I have to do something. I go, yes, you have to change this belief system. Uh, and, you know, uh, I'm not sure exactly which of the processes that you're using, Maddie, but there are a number of ways of changing those programs that you have. I'm curious to, to know your thoughts on this because along this journey of sort of, you know, coming out of my very small box as a molecular biologist or a scientist in Western science and learning you know, about Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine and Aboriginal medicine and all of these different things. Slowly along that journey, obviously, my mind is opening up and my belief systems are changing. And, you know, I grew up with my mum as a nurse. Um, And so one of the things that's really coming into the conversation now, this year particularly, um, is plant medicines. And so I often say to people that there's only a couple of ways that you can really shock your system into changing those subconscious programs to to think differently. It's usually a diagnosis. Many people will be shocked into behavior change or lifestyle change. That's a a shock. Yeah, that, that that is a way. But now, as you just mentioned, there's a problem with that. And that is, one person's shock is not another yes. person's shock. And, and therefore, it doesn't always work and you can't apply it on a universal level. A shock is only a personal thing that hits them in their personal mm-hmm. world, but it's not a prescription that I could carry out yes. and say, I will now shock you. 
but you can't do that. It doesn't work that way. Totally. Or, or the other one is like a de- the death of a loved one can really, you know, frighten people into to making their their lives and their beliefs different and, and showing up differently for themselves. But this conversation around plant medicine is coming up because there's states in the US where it's becoming legal. The TGA here in Australia have changed yeah. changed the yeah. status of um, MDMA and psilocybin. And possibly those tools which have been used in cultures for thousands of years are ways to access this subconscious mind. That's the way it's always been. A coming of age for for many cultures was to take a plant medicine to say, look, you're more than this body. And the plant medicine puts your consciousness into like overdrive and it's like, wow, wow, what's going on? And you get to see the world in a completely different way. Uh, like you let go and let the consciousness show you stuff. Uh, uh, and it's very exciting. Uh, it might be scary for some people, but it's a very exciting opportunity to experience like, oh my God, there's much greater me than, than what's in this place right here. Uh, and that once you become aware of that, then it's an empowering factor that says, I never included that in my understanding of how life worked. Now that I've experienced it, I go, ah, can I use that? And the answer, of course you can. That's why the uh, it's used, especially, as I said, as a coming-of-age process for, for many cultures. Uh, when they hit teenage or just before teenage, they, they give them a mushroom or ayahuasca or some trip like that. And that individual then realizes there's more to me than this physical thing right here. And that opens up their mind to say, well, wait, if there's more to me than what tell me more about this other side because that can influence the physical side yeah we were also talking before um we hit record about the fact that the death rate of western populations is contributed to significantly by the pharmaceutical and medical establishment Um, can we talk about that a little bit well, we can because it's not uh, like an opinion. It's like, uh, give give you an idea. And I say, no, this is a scientific reality and published in in scientific journals, but not just any scientific journals. Uh, the data we're going to talk about in a second is published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. This is the, 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 the doctor's journal, okay? Uh, it's also in the British Medical Journal, again, a doctor's journal. They both have articles that describe the fact that allopathic medicine, conventional medicine, is the third leading cause of death in the United States. And I think one out of every five deaths in Australia, I think 20% or so, is also due to uh, medical practice. There's a Latin name, so people don't understand what we're saying. Oh, he had iatrogenic illness. I go, what the hell is iatrogenic illness? I go, it's Latin for the term of illness as a result of medical treatment. So all of a sudden I go, oh my God. Instead of saying iatrogenic, you say medical treatment is the third leading cause of death. I go, well, that's a fact and not established by me or weirdos and new age people. It's a fact established in the mainstream scientific journals for medical people. And I go, wow. I go, why is this relevant? And I say, well, the first study that revealed that was in the year 2000. Mm -hmm. And you think, oh, maybe we should do something different. And that was from Journal of American Medical Association. But the research was redone in 2016, 16 years later, by the British Medical Journal, and came to the exact same conclusion that uh, iatrogenic illness is the third leading cause of death, which is medicine. I say, well, why is this significant? I say, what do you mean? Why is this significant? If the if, if the healing industry is causing the third leading cause of death with cancer, uh, the first one is cardiovascular disease, leading cause of death. Second one is cancer. The third one is iatrogenic illness. I go, maybe you should pause and think about this. That the healing industry itself is the third leading cause of death. What does it mean? Their insights and their knowledge is not keeping up with modern science. And having been a researcher in a medical school and a professor in a medical school, I can tell you from practical personal experience is that uh, medicine is manipulated by the pharmaceutical company. 
And, and I go, why is this relevant? Because, well, if you're in a medical school, man, pharmaceutical companies bring all the donuts. You know, they, they give uh, um, vacations to medical doctors or they say, oh, we're going to pay for you to go to Hawaii to be in a convention. They go to Hawaii. They don't show up. They're just having a great time. And I go, there are payoffs. They've been this way for years. <laughs> and corporate payoffs in every level today are greater than they've ever been before because we're not running from a, a, a kind of a government of a democracy anywhere when corporate control over, you know, overreaches the people in the, in the world. And so we're in a corporatocracy and the pharmaceutical companies only number two behind the, the military uh, corporates uh, is the pharmaceutical corporates biggest amount of money in the world, really. And the, the point is simply this. What if I could heal you without drugs? And it's like, the pharmaceutical company goes, oh, <laughs> panic. don't tell them, don't tell them that, because they suppress this. Yeah. It is suppressed. Uh, and I'm very upset about it because, um, uh, of course, in the, uh, the recent COVID story, mm-hmm. uh, uh, there, you know, I, I want to give you a quote because it's a really great quote. And it comes from a physicist, a famous physicist by the name of Richard Feynman, famous physicist. And, and I love this quote because he said, I would rather have questions that can't be answered than answers that can't be questioned. Mm, brilliant. And I go, this is exactly what the latter COVID story was. Anybody who challenged the COVID official source was then marginalized. I mean, even a couple of my programs were censored because I questioned that. And I say, well, screw it anyway, because the reality is that right now we understand uh, from the consequence of the side effects that have shown up over time. Yeah. That it was really, uh, this is a disaster yeah. <laughs> process. Well, I was deplatformed from Instagram, so I'm, I'm with you in that space. <laughs> you see, and that's, and it's exactly, this is the problem because it's like, you can't question it, then it's not science anymore. Now that's an autocrat saying, that's it. You believe what I say. Yeah. And if you don't, you could go to jail. Ooh, that's not science. And now that we, you know, that we can see the long-term consequences of this, it's like never in the history has heart attacks been associated with young boys and yeah. men. <laughs> the idea that young men, the athletes, are having heart attacks is like, where the hell did that come from? And the answer was COVID vaccine, okay? Uh, and women are having issues because it affects their reproductive tracts. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, and so I'm saying, the spinoff, and I'm going, so what's the issue? And the issue is we have been programmed and, and we have lost our power. Yeah. Uh, uh, and if you can't question anything, then all of a sudden there is no power to the people anymore. Uh, and in fact, if you think about it, the consequence of the COVID period was what? Separating people. Yeah. Don't gather together. Don't communicate with each other. Put a mask on. Stay six feet apart. Uh, let's give an important point right here. People only have power in community. If there's no community, People have no power. And COVID was a breakdown of the community on the entire planet where behavior was controlled by a handful of people that determined what they wanted us to do. And in the you know hindsight, now that we're looking back, it was like, oh, my God, we, we got screwed. And, and people are still paying the price for this. And, it, and, and it's like we have to be able to talk where we can be free. Uh, Maddie, you and I both know that not that long ago, this was not an option for us. We couldn't say the things we just said without having the police knock on your door. Yeah. Well, and I think as well, what's happened over the last few generations is that to tie this in with the conversation we're having about subconscious belief systems is that we've got multiple generations now that have subconscious programming that medicine and seeing the Western medical doctor in its current setting is the only way to heal. <laughs> well, if you, you know, appreciate the fact that the, the you know, the third leading cause of death, um, you know, it's like, if you want to ignore that, Hey, they're doing a great job. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think we should ignore the third leading. If they were the 20th leading cause of death, we say, ah, okay. You know, but, but the third now it's time for us to stop and think about that one for a while. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, Bruce, I've loved having you on this podcast. Like, I still can't believe we're having a conversation in real life. This is amazing. Um, but where can everybody find all of your stuff online, on the internet? Where do you want to send them? 
I would just send in one simple site where everything we've talked about is freely downloadable in the form of uh, videos, podcasts, uh, written articles, are all available on my website, which is very simple, brucelipton.com. And under resources, there's uh, many different ways of how to reprogram that subconscious uh, mind that has taken us off the track and put, you know, and allow us to program it the way we want. Uh, and it's interesting because I said, remember, I said the, the honeymoon was an experience where people stopped playing the program and then started using their conscious mind as their creative control. Uh, I, I have to say, it's very simple. Um, when I grew up, remember, I told you that the first seven years you're in a state of hypnotherapy and that you, you watch your parents and family and community and download. Well, my father and my mother had a very dysfunctional relationship. I go, so what? And I said, well, I was a kid. And I was downloading my father's behavior because I was watching him and just unconsciously recording it. And so then basically it says, well, my relationship behavior really sucked because it was being, you know, programmed. I couldn't get a relationship off the ground for over 40 plus years until I understood the nature of the program, just as much as trying to change weight. Mm -hmm. Okay. My program was preventing me from manifesting a love relationship. Once I understood this, and like your work is so important in doing, is, well, then change the program. Uh, I, I was able to meet my, my wonderful partner, Margaret. Uh, and that was 28 years ago. And the interesting part was when any of my negative programs would show up because of my father's programming, 95% of the day I would play some of those behaviors. Uh, instead of getting into an argument, we, we had a great opportunity to say, well, you want to change that behavior? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I didn't even see it, but I'd rather change it. And and we, you know, uh, I worked on changing my behaviors to that extent to what? I've been on a honeymoon with Margaret for 28 years, a new world, a new way of life, 28 years of honeymoon, heaven on earth. And I say, how did it get there? And I say, first, I had to change the programming and then start living a healthier life. And so, uh, uh, exactly what your efforts are involved with are exactly the process that allowed me to switch from that negative life experience for over 40 years into the last 28 years. Uh, wow. It's incredible. What a, what a great opportunity to be here and enjoy heaven on earth every day. Yeah. It's fabulous. And I know this is your effort, and I know that the people in your audience – if they understand what you're trying to do, then all of a sudden it makes it a lot easier to do what you're doing. And I hope that somewhere in our conversation, we had an opportunity to explain how your work becomes so important and so functional in changing the belief system and then creating an opportunity that somebody have conscious control over their life rather than being controlled by subconscious programs, which uh, uh, obviously are not very positive for most people. Yeah, thank you so much, Bruce. It means it honestly means so much to have you as a supporter of my work and say all of those kind things. So yeah, it really, really touches my heart. So I'm very grateful for you saying that. Well, I, I'm grateful because the only way we're going to evolve out of the chaos that's in the current world is if the people take their power back. Yeah. And since they don't even know they don't have the power because it's lost in the programming somewhere, until they become aware the planet is going downhill at this moment. That's why there's chaos all over. We're not sustainable. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the U.S. has been number one in a lot of things. But in the last 20 or 30 years, number one in things we don't want. <laughs> number one, the number of prisoners that we have. Number one, the most poverty, <laughs> you know. Number one, the greatest separation of wealth into a small. I said, these are sucky number one. Yeah. But guess what? Australia wins on, on one of those. And I go, what is it? They looked at how, how many planets would it take to sustain different populations in the U.S., Australia, Great Britain, here, Canada, whatever. And uh, I always think, oh, the U.S., yeah, we, we probably use almost all the materials of the planet to keep ourselves going. Number one use. It turns out, oh, no, Australia <laughs> is number one. It, it requires... Uh, five and a half planets to provide the resources for the culture in Australia. It wow. provide, the, the U.S. is only five planets. <laughs> Australia wins. Thank goodness. Five time U.S. didn't win a crap <laughs> thing like that. Well, and the obvious <laughs> fact that Australian population is 10 times smaller. 
<laughs> well, this this is the issue. But, the, you know, let's get to the conclusion. Each each different culture has a, a different requirement of the planet to sustain themselves. The only culture that lives within the planetary resources mm-hmm. is India. Uh, it, it only requires like three quarters of a planet to support them. Every other country is fr- from one to five and wow. a half planets. And I say, but this is why we're facing an upheaval at this moment, because we cannot sustain a civilization. And I say collectively, not just Australia, but all of the mm-hmm. countries together, how, how to sustain all the countries today, just the way they are just today, requires 1.6 planets. I go, okay, there's a problem. We don't have yeah. a 0.6 extra planet. Uh, and this is why the chaos that we're, follow, that we're seeing around today, we're not sustainable. Culture is not sustainable. It's not. We have to change yeah. our behavior. We have to learn to live in a different way. Uh, and so those uh, elements that are helping us change our behavior become the future direction of what we need to survive. And that's, again, hey, I'm here with you, Maddie, because I see you as one of those elements that is helpful to, look, we have to change the behavior, folks. We have to get into a different way of life. And uh, I really want to support you in that, Maddie. Thank you. Thank you. I've, um, yeah, I mean, I feel the same about you. You're a leader in this space that I've been following for, well, since the beginning of my scientific career. So um, thank you for being a, a beacon of hope. <laughs> uh, 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 that there is a positive side. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, there is. There is. So I'd love to see uh, you continue and all the people on this audience recognize what you're doing is not an accident or coincidence. What you're doing is the current understanding of how can we get our power back and take back control of our lives. So I appreciate it very much. Yeah. And so and if, if you listening have enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, share it on social media. Um, Bruce and I are on different social media platforms that we haven't been deplatformed from. So give us a tag um, and I'll put Bruce's website down below as well. Um, Bruce, I guess to, to wrap up the episode, um, what is one piece of health information of all of the wisdom that you have that you wish more people knew about? I'll tell you what it is, because I, when I first understood the nature of spirituality, which I didn't believe as a scientist, because we don't do that in science, we don't even mention consciousness and spirit, that's like forbidden words in the scientific community. Well, it's coming to the forefront right now. Uh, but when I recognized the, the existence of a spiritual energy, quantum physics is involved here, uh, I recognized, oh my goodness, I exist as a spiritual entity, but I also exist as a physical entity. And my consciousness, when I first saw this, the idea is, oh, my God, I am spiritual. It, it wasn't like devotion. I went to church every day and became spiritual. I, I understood the molecular mechanism of identity uh, coming into the cells and recognized that we are broadcast plain through this body. Uh, uh, and, uh, and so what was the big deal? And here was the big deal. I, I, in this awareness, I said, oh, my God, I'm a spiritual entity and a body. Uh, I asked myself. Scientific question. Why have both? Why not just be the spirit? And and I joke because that's what I said. That's when I found out I had Jewish comedian cells. I go, what do you mean? I said, I asked a question. Why have both? And the cells answered with a question. They asked me, they said, Bruce, if you're just a spirit, what does chocolate taste like? And now if you understand that, you might have to think about this for another <laughs> 20 minutes here, but it's the most profound thing in the world because it said what? The body is an enhancement to our consciousness. It takes the energy and combines it to make vision. It takes the energy to make feelings like love. It takes the energy for sound to be understood or taste. The body is translating the environment so that the spirit energy has an experience of sight and sound and taste and feelings. And I said to myself, oh, my God. I have been shutting myself off from all these sensory inputs, you know, especially guys. Uh, it's an unfortunate part because um, the programming of boys is different than the programming of girls in this regard. Girls are allowed to be emotional. Nobody says, any, oh, that's just part of being the girl. Boys yeah, can't be, be strong. emotional. <laughs> nope. You can't be sensitive. And I go, why can't we be sensitive? And the answer is because you make a crappy soldier. If you're sensitive, you're not going to shoot somebody. But if we program you to not be sensitive, then we can put a military uniform on you and you could go out and kill people. I go, and so is, is it just men are not sensitive? I go, no, men were programmed not to be sensitive. 
And I go, and this is why women have a problem because their program allows them to be sensitive. And men are insensitive louts. I go, what does that represent? I said, programming. And I saw this programming in myself and I said, wait a minute. I've been separating myself from the, the reality of emotions and love and feelings and all that kind of stuff. Why? Because I'm going to be insensitive, you know? And then that wake up call said, wait, change. And I have, and I have to say, being sensitive is one of the most wonderful things on this planet because it determines the things that you like from the things that you don't like. And then you can choose what you want. And all of a sudden I say, well, then I'd rather choose the great life of love and joy and pleasure and all this stuff and avoid that. And I changed my life and now I live that life. And, uh, you know, again, I think this is the lesson that you're also trying to help people with. Get out of that program that has victimized you and start living into the program that you desire because then you become empowered. Yeah. I relate to that story so much as a man of, yeah, with having a wake up call and becoming more sensitive and moving towards the emotions that were there, just suppressed. Yeah. And it's fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. So much more meaningful experience. It totally is. Thanks, Maddie. You're so welcome. Anyway, thanks so much for being here, Bruce. I've loved it. I want to have you back. I know the audience is probably, their brains are melting right now, but I'm very grateful for your time. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to your wonderful community because I'd love to see them uh, rise up because the more people that awaken, the more we can return us back to the heaven on earth that we inherited when we got here. Beautiful, beautiful. Thanks, Bruce. We'll see you really soon. Thanks, Maddie. Talk again sometime, babe. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.